Welcome to the fourth pillar of play, a night shift radio production where we support your adventure in tabletop game design by discussing, learning, and creating right alongside you. Hey, Talon. Hello. Same room again. Same room. It's been, it's been seems like it's been Same a while. Same room. We are just here with yes. our friends, all the devils and demons. Yeah, quite a bit. Quite a bit. I, sh- I didn't have a scary voice ready to say devils and demons. Devils and demons. That's even worse. That's the image. That would be way worse. <laughs> like if you had a terrifying, giant, multi-headed, and it talked like, like that. Gandalf, you shall not pass. And the Balor's like, you say so. I know. Yes, I will. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm a coming through. <laughs> Whee! It's the most fearful of all. All of the servants of Morgoth. Yep. I'm a here. <laughs> now it's Jar Jar. Yeah, they should. <laughs> I know. Misa, you... Misa, defeat the Gandalf. Oof. Why is it so easy to do a Jar Jar? That's... I don't know. It's the same reason why it's sort of easy to do a Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you just kind of... Nasty, stinking hobbits. Nobody likes you. You're a liar. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned the Gollum voice from the old BBC radio drama, which if you've I never... I haven't, haven't heard, heard that I think all we've talked about this before. We have. But... I haven't heard that one all... I was big on the... Um... The Star Wars radio dramas. Oh, my God. I listened to the BBC Lord of the Rings radio drama so much, mm. which was... So you know the things that came out of that, right? Yeah. No. I guess I don't. Um, so the reason that Ian Holm plays Bilbo mm-hmm. in the movies is because Ian Holm played Frodo in the BBC radio drama. Oh, okay. Okay. And um, so, okay. So this might not be as familiar to you. So I taught Romeo and Juliet for yep. a very long time yep. in my classroom. And so you'd always watch the Romeo and Juliet movie. I know, literally, when you said you taught Romeo and Juliet in a classroom, I almost wanted to say, and how many people in their 40s just had the same image pop into their head? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because Franco Zifarelli's 1968 film, Romeo and Juliet, which yep. is one of the most beautiful movies ever made, yeah, um, but is full of the most famous stage actors yeah. of the 60s It was and like 70s. super accurate, yeah. And it's it's one of my favorite films of all time. But the, and I forget his name, Michael Hord- Holdern? I think it's like Michael Holdern. Okay. Who plays the prince, mm. you know? He's the guy that comes in and is like, and immediately for that, we do exile him hence. Right. Um, okay. He's like, he's the guy, that he just kind of like walks in and he's like, stop fighting. Who the frame? Blah, 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 blah. Um, he was the guy that played Aragorn in the BBC radio drama. Oh, okay. Um. And the guy who played Gandalf. So the Gandalf was a famous stage actor who appeared in movies we saw as kids. Right. Because over in like Britain and the UK, when they do like the BBC is like a thing that is not lesser. You know what I mean? Like growing up when we were when we were kids, you weren't going to see like Tom Cruise doing a TV show on NBC, CBS, you know, whatever. Right. You know, this, but all you, the most famous actors. Yeah. And BBC, they don't seem to. I mean, Helen Mirren still goes back and does stuff. You know, for television, mm-hmm. BBC television, which which we are now kind of getting here because I started watching 1923 this morning. Okay, so Michael Hodern played mm-hmm. Hordern played Gandalf. Michael Hordern um, was, I believe, he played either Juliet's dad. I think he played Juliet's dad. Let's see here. Oh no, I can't find it quickly. So I so Juliet's father, uh, mm-hmm. Capulet, was yeah. Gandalf. Okay. In one version, in some version, he plays something. And Robert Stevens, who played the prince, was Aragorn, and um, and that and so you're saying the Gollum voice was the same during this, essentially. So circus, it, it was probably it was, it pulled was that like, voice. It, there's a lot of sim- there's a lot of crossover between the Gollum voice from the radio drama and mm-hmm. the Gollum. There is difference because he goes Gollum, Gollum. Yeah, that, who, it's, it's, who does that? Um, 
Oh, so Gollum is played in the by Peter Woodthorpe, who I don't right. know if you. So would. the the gulping the Gollum name, like where did that originate? Like is oh that... it, in the book it says he makes a swallowing noise and says Gollum in the God, Hobbit. It says terrible. it describes it as a swallowing noise. That's Gollum. awful. Gollum. That's Gollum. really awful. That's a and then idea. Uh, it was um, what's his name? Smeagol. Uh, yeah, the guy Andy Circus. Andy Circus who turned it into. <clears throat> yeah, that fits a little better, I think. So, like, more like he's clearing stuff. Either way, it's horrible. I bet he likes you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of similar in the radio drama. Um, But the other famous people from the radio drama would be Samwise Gamgee, played by none other than Bill Nye. Oh, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, he was a fantastic Samwise. Yeah. So, like, I'll I'll get it. I'll get you the copy of the radio drama that I own on a perfectly legal CD collection somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm without a doubt. You just, do you have it backed up though? So you can store the CDs. Yeah, exactly. Got so it. that I can store the CDs. Um, and, but it is definitely worth the listen. It's 13 episodes and it's sure. amazing. Wow. I mean, my favorite part is there. Okay. So fully work, Yeah. you know, in my list of careers I could have gone into. Yeah, that would have been, if it I could go back like in time, so much fun. Fully work is right up there. Right. Yeah. And I, you can tell 100% when when Gollum is being tortured mm-hmm. in uh, Sauron's fortress. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's in the radio drama. I right. think they cut it out of the movie. There's like the shot when Gandalf's and you see his hand going. Yeah, you see, it for, you see it for a little bit in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, they like, where is the ring? And they're torturing Gollum. I don't know. Yeah. The sound of the torture implements. Mm-hmm. You listen to it and you will know exactly what it is the minute you hear it. It goes chunk, chunk, chunk. It's it a... someone hitting a stapler. Oh, it is one hundred percent someone hitting a stapler. <laughs> I am convinced in my head that it's okay. just the foley artist going. I don't know. Use a stapler. Chunk. It sounds like they're stapling paper. Well, I mean, it, and it, he's screaming. It, in the it works if you're breaking a hole in a Venetian church library. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for Indy. I know. Stamp, stamp, boom. <laughs> um, Great. Oh man, yeah. I can't believe you never listened to that. Well, I mean, again, I Lord of the Rings wasn't really. I mean, I, I'd I know, watched, and I'm not I'd a huge always, Lord of the Rings person either. I had always watched the cartoons. I was big on the the was it the Bakshi cartoons. The what was it that someone pointed out that Aragorn trips over his sword and they just rotoscoped right over it? Yes, yes. Oh, that, is that thing you? is a nightmare. No, well, I did maybe send you a video about the making like a, of the okay. Bakshi one. It's a hell of a thing. Um, but no, so that was my Lord of the Rings when I was a kid. It was mostly just the Rankin-Bass. Well, the Rankin-Bass Hobbit, I love. Yeah, yeah, and I still like it. Great fun songs and stuff, but yeah. Um, just because we haven't started the show yet, really, but I do want to point out, have you come across any of, on YouTube, the um, Letters Live readings? So uh, there's... No, one, I just shook my head very silently. Yeah, yeah, there's one, there's, there's a great one in there. Um, Matt Berry reads... Gosh, I don't know. It's it's an ancient letter, like an old letter of like a sultan of some area. Is and, it smutty? Well, no, it is so grandiose. And he's basically telling this opposing force, of which I am unclear, back off. I'm the king of everything. I'm the god's right hand. I'm, I'm it, you know, just really, just really swinging, right? And then Peter Capaldi reads the, re- the retort, which is <laughs> hysterical. I've watched other ones. And What's it called again? It's called Live Letters. Um, and link in the show notes. This particular one is the best one so far. I've listened. And some are good, but I I'll just link love. To this. Is it on the YouTube? Yeah. I just love when you take. <laughs> it's just the. I just. 
there there was something better about the insults. You know, you you like what they're saying. Is well, I mean, the, it was it was the it was the devil shites, and your army feeds upon it. <laughs> it's just it's so funny. It's so funny. I love listening to like little captures of letters and mm-hmm. things like that from the past. When you realize that no, people weren't more refined back then. No, I love that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, there's a reference to, you know, uh, Lucifer a lot and devils, which I'll use as the segue to bring us into the actual episode. Well, I was going to ask, yeah. I was going to, and I'm going to rip it right away from devils and demons for a second, yeah. Yeah. Uh, depending on how you think about people. Yeah. Have you ever heard the old, um, telephone recordings of LBJ ordering pants? Uh, no, wait, I feel like I like, have heard some of it. I need to get my pants done. And so I don't want it riding up into my bunghole. <laughs> and literally, that's what he says. He's like talking about his bunghole. That's I don't need, I don't need, this is bunghole is family friendly. Yeah, he was opinion. very deep. He was, he was very deep. He Texas was a, guy. Yeah. he was, he was salty. Yeah. Salt of the earth. Type he was too. a salty guy. Yeah. Um, but yes, now we can bring it back to devils. Yeah, and so demons. devils and demons. So right? yeah, we, in the intervening week, we were going to talk. We're going to. Our plan was: we. Were, I was going to read about devils. You're going to read about demons. We're going to kind of talk through them because yep. we have this idea for our divorce divorzai, mm-hmm. which again, working names, um, where we're going to like have some basic stat blocks. Then you can kind. The DM should be allowed to like right. pick the powers that kind mm-hmm. of go you with know, it. Based the thing on about divorce uh, divorce is when I first mentioned it to Miranda, she was like, "Oh, that's a cool name." And I go, "Yeah, it is." The problem is, if you say it too fast, it sounds like divorce. Yeah, and then she goes. Oh yeah, I guess it kind of does. <laughs> is there some divorus? Divorus, 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 divorus. Yeah. Anyway, it's a divorus. Yeah. So we had our homework to create lists yeah. of. And you went, you went, you went. Yeah, far, I really yeah. went because I just far sort afield. of read about the different abilities of devils mm-hmm. in order to bring it to the to, to the table to discuss uh, powers and things like that yeah. that we could generate for our stat blocks. Yeah. But. You also then did that, but then you also went. I'm not. I use the phrase off the deep end, but not in right. A bad no, way. I mean I did. I, so I'm in an empty school, and I have time. Yeah. To myself, and I just started. I don't know. The floodgates opened. You and started it was... coming up with the story. Remember, the first most important thing when you're developing this stuff is what's the story. Yeah. Right. So, should I recap our story? From our past three episodes, right? as best we're able, as yes. best we're able to, yep. with everything being in flux and nothing being set in stone. Yeah. The general gist is. On Esterok, going back lots of years, I'm just use the word lots, yeah. lots of years. You have Esterok. There's nothing there except magic. Yeah, magic and primal forces. Yep. Then comes aberrations. Cthulhu. We we jokingly been saying Cthulhu, though you have a new name that we might start using. Yeah. Here, um, Cthulhu comes, starts trying to get into Esterok. Yep. Um, and that causes something to happen, and then the Leviathans come. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Leviathans form a civilization. Yep. And they build structures. They build structures. The, the things that currently litter they, to this day. We yeah. could even say that maybe the world attracted the Leviathans. Maybe that's the mystery. Mm-hmm. We don't know who came first, the right. Cthulhu or the Leviathans. Right. But they existed on the planet at the same time. Mm-hmm. The planet, the world, something happens. We don't know if it's in response to the aberrate If Cthulhu, we don't know if it's in response so to the Leviathans. We I've... don't know if it's a response to both. I have such a jumble of ideas, but I think the original idea was, or at least that I had put forth this week, um, is that the order is, we'll, we'll start with universe, um, Esterok, because Esterok itself with the whole pure... It's a battery at the center of the universe. Exactly. And, and unexpected. I like the idea that the universe didn't create it. So part of this idea came out of when I told you I had looked up what um, the three-body problem, the premise of the book was. Right. And this idea that the universe had... Um, the universe was the universe and life 
the existence of life it's disrupts and yeah and and it's a it's malignant to the universe it inherently disrupts the chaos it disrupts the uh it, it is the chaos of the universe like that okay. type of thing so i was thinking of like the universe is going about its business and then this kind of this planet or you know this planet exists often and it's pure iliaster and i like the idea that all and when i say universe it can it can mean whatever you want it to mean if you want to feel like the universe is a living thing fine if you want it when i say universe if you're thinking well you're talking about gods and and celestial beings or whatever fine but this thing exists and rather than try to cut it off the universe itself is fascinated with Asterok. Mm-hmm. Um, but it recognizes what it is and it kind of endeavors to keep, because it also feels the importance because you know it's going to feed into magic throughout the rest of the cosmos, right? Right. So what it did want to avoid was, in my imagination, um, the, uh, what do you call them? Like the Elder Gods, the Cthulhu types are the anti-universe, like the anti-life type thing and so the universe sure. endeavored to keep them away but also recognize there's a certain level of importance and if we cut off Astarok or we destroy Astarok we may diminish the rest um, so they kind of endeavored to keep them away and eventually in my mind they would the you know the colossals or the leviathans would arrive mm-hmm. on this world just naturally and they're like oh this is even better we can have somebody keep an eye on things but then the 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 the, the leviathans in their own poking and prodding kind of peel back a little bit of the layer and now uh the elder gods see this place where if they could if they could twist this place they could kind of so maybe so we don't know if i think i think that's basically the same thing we don't right, know right. if it's okay i guess it is I, yeah because yeah. i got a lot of words going through my head so well, it's hard well, and that's great down, yeah. the so the i love the idea that you could play with well is it the leviathan or the colossals that came first or is right. it cthulhu that came first yeah in any sense eventually the colossals they build superstructures over the planet. Mm-hmm. They're a high society of, you know, uh, technology and magic and things like that. Right, and they're 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 constantly they're curious. This is like billions and billions of years ago. Yeah, they are always and and forever curious. They're always looking into things, trying to understand things more. And that's what it seems. That's what people are able to glean from yeah. the remnants of their society. But then yep. something happens. Yep. Vague something. Yep. And they are they are vanished. Yep. Um. But then things are quiet, right? Then things I are mean, quiet. Yep. But then. Again, there's still that little tickle of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's poking and prodding from the far realm. It, it's like a, it knows something's there, and it's trying knocking at the door, trying to get in for a long time. Yeah, and eventually, other sentient beings as they want to do, they spread throughout. They spread throughout, yeah, through and the... then over time, you start to have all these people coming to Estorok and things like that. But they're lesser beings. They're and, lesser you beings. Know, they don't care as much. Yeah, right, exactly. They just kind of like you know, they're they're generally. I, I generally. Again, go back to the the gold rush concept. Yeah, that they weren't really here necessarily to find ultimate cosmic power or full understanding of the universe. It was they didn't just like, understand the importance. Of yeah, what ooh, can I sell this? You yeah, know, yeah. Ch- so you child have, races, if you mm-hmm. will. Yeah. So you have a ton of these. You have a whole bunch of people who travel to Estrock, mm-hmm. and that maybe that increases the ability of Cthulhu, right? You know, deep below to just because they as in. a just because they as a culture aren't driven to curiosity doesn't mean there aren't very influential very powerful well they're curious about ways to profit exactly and they're going to dig and dig even and i love the idea too at least in my mind capitalism is the bad guy yeah that they came up with i you know (laughs) well i love the idea too that they they may even have a ton of warning signs like don't do this and of course they keep doing it sure you know um until eventually um i i used bazaragar was the name i came up with Mm -hmm. so eventually bazaragar kind of makes a full incursion into and that's and the primals fight him and they do what they can but that's when the universe is like okay enough of this sevenfold storm everything Seven gets locked storm off doors are, and now this planet is alone and it is cut off from the rest yep 
by ways. You know? So you're if you're following, you're like, okay, all right. Yep. That leads us up to a thousand years prior to present. Yep. In that thousand years prior to present, cultures expand, spread, start mm-hmm. manipulating. But one of those things is that there is a point in the world where there is Berseragar, mm-hmm. and it is incurring. They, there's still a piece of yeah. There's still of, a piece of, of this elder that horror has been locked here that is trying to trying Over, to overcome everything. Because if he can get if if Berseragar can touch and, and absorb the Iliaster of the world. And the primals are constantly struggling with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then into that, I figure, is where I kind of have in all that kind of... Because there's like a wonderfully chaotic point when this all happens, which that would be the best movie to start with. All this chaos after Sevenfold Storm. And out right. of that comes Oracle, right? The balance of power is all out of whack. Here's this demon whose ability is to feed on other things and you know kind of bring parts of that thing into itself. But he, he hits... He manages to basically feast above his, you know, above his, his weight, station, his weight right. class, right? And now all of a sudden, whereas because of the chaos, now he's essentially become top dog, and he starts to consume hungrily, mm-hmm. right? And he's got a lot of stuff, he's got a lot of power, but what's he going to do with the power? Where do you go, you know? Right. And he, so he wants to dominate the planet, but he doesn't have enough power to dominate the planet. You know, that's where the primals are kind of like, mm. you know, but you know, they're like, we could wipe you out, but the primals are exhausted. Yeah, you know, and I, in my mind, the primals are always looking to reestablish the connection with the universe, and they don't feel they can do that until Bazaragar is eliminated, mm-hmm. and they don't quite have the power to do that, but they do have the power to eliminate Oracle. So, if they so, want. so they elicit the help of yeah, they 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 solicit strike a, they strike a deal. Yeah, yeah, you know, like you can go about your business, um, you know, and I think we've mentioned this. You can go out to your business up to a point. We're not exactly telling you what that point is to keep him on his heels, mm-hmm. you know. And so we have devils and demons uh, mm-hmm. led by a Devoris, the, the named Oragal, yeah, the first Devoris, yep. who then basically organizes all fiends yep. under his thumb. At the point of incursion. At the point of incursion where Bezeragar is. Yep. And the deal he strikes, in whatever way he struck it, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because there are things that are unknowable. Yeah. Yep. Um, is that he will maintain the front lines keeping Bazaragar from incurring. Right. And the city, I, I've been calling the city Bazaragar. Nobody knows that that's a reference to anything in particular. But so he is essentially the warden of, you know, Bazaragar, the nine chambers of Bazaragar. Right. Because what happens is there's an explosion under... In this, so this know. was your yeah. history of yeah. Bazaragar. So yeah. it, let me see if I understand it correctly. Okay. Yeah. Your understanding was that Bazaragar was a Leviathan science lab, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, arcane science lab that mm-hmm. went deep into the earth because they were curious. Yep, and that's they. It got all the way to the to the incursion point of Bazaragar. Yep, and then there was all we know is that there was some kind of a explosion. Yeah, and this it was blown out. The mountain it was under was blown out. So now you have this giant hollowed out crater mountain. Yep, with remnants of leviathan structures crumbled all around. Also. Mm-hmm. I love the I, I said to you on the phone. I love yeah. the idea of this explosion happening because then that also gives us like, hey, what's this weird chunk of building yeah. two hundred miles away? Yeah. Oh, that's a chunk from Bazaragar. Right. Who knows what came with that chunk? Also, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Because um, the, and, and 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 I I envisioned it as like this this levels of research. So there's like a where they did research on the psychological impacts mm-hmm. of this, and here's arcane weaponry, and and so since then the it has turned into a nine level mega dungeon basically yep um that and, that Oregal and his minions control descending down to the point of far realm incursion mm-hmm. and that is the 
That is the stopper in the drain yeah. that the snake is trying to climb up through. Yeah. Um, and then I still want my, <laughs> I still want my torrent of eldritch flame that shoots. And you up want a torrent of eldritch flame that just, shoots up from time. It's to time. like a pressure release that just exactly. goes to give it that hellish vibe. Yeah. Every now and then, some yeah, just <laughs> green purple lightning shoots up out of the yeah Berseragar, and no yeah. one knows why, but yeah. everyone knows to stay away. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Yep. Um, so that's our history of Berseragar in a nutshell. Yep. And, and then we had that Oregal became the first Dvoris. Yep. He recognized the power that came with becoming a Dvoris and so has started creating more. Yeah, those that threat initially it was those that threaten him that have the potential to become Because at first he just consumed. Yeah. There's two options he deals with people. Mm-hmm. He can consume them. Yep. And then they become part of his madness and his power. Yep. Or he can force them to undergo he can force the trans- he can force a devil and a demon to be merged through a secret ceremony right. into a divorce under his control. Right. And once he realized even his limitations, he can't literally be the sole guardian of nine separate points of incursion. So he's he's reticent to consume more. Right. So what he does, what we came up with is that he You came up with though. Okay. Yeah. Well, what he does is he I like that he takes basically his nine greatest rivals over time. You know, thousand mm-hmm. year period, who knows how often. And rather than eliminate them, he would he would force them from being either a, de- a devil or a demon into this new form, the Dvoris. And um, Dvoris. Dvor- Dvoris. Into this new Dvoris life form. Um, and so it is no longer a devil or a demon. And it, it probably has a particular power. But what he also does is in that process consumes one of their fingers. Uh, or what, a piece of them. A piece of them. Yeah. So here's the thing. Oh, you're right. You're this right. was something you're... that I came up yes, with. Yes, correct. I, where we were ping-ponging this back and forth. Because yep. demons and devils, they tend not to be always anthropomorphic. They don't, they don't always hold And it. I love yep. the idea that maybe when you make a divorce, they're super not anthropomorphic. Sure. They are horrific. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. They're for horrific. Sure. And so he consumes a part of them. But because they are so horrific, they very often force themselves into a humanoid form. Yep. Um, and when they, they shape do. change. I want to give divorces the ability to shape change for sure. And, and when, when they, they do, shape change, they're missing a finger. They always yeah. So you can tell a divorce because they have nine fingers, and they are. And if you're not a Duke of Hell level divorce, you're basically part of his personal army. Personal army. And what I'm envisioning with the nine fingers is like when somebody when you know because we 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 spent a lot of time talking about um, was it neutral evil right? right and that and that mindset. Um, but I just love the idea in my mind, I'm seeing this thing where one, somebody kind of, you know, because they wouldn't care necessarily kind of talks, you know, speaks a little too disrespectfully, a little too flippant to Oregal. Mm-hmm. And then Oregal, you know, kind of stopping and kind of looking at him and going, I think that maybe you forget. And then the divorce, the hand with the hand with the missing fingers grabs a blade and starts to drive it into their own shoulder because mm-hmm. I'm the one with 10 fingers, you know, right. like this, that kind of like. And so you call yes. people call his army the nine fingers. Yeah. So everyone's like, "Hush, you're going to bring Which the is attention to the nine fingers." Yeah. Close to uh, so mm-hmm. I'm the pop culture references. Yeah. Um, the Bloody Nine. You ever heard of the Bloody Nine? I haven't. Okay. What's so Joe Ambercrombie, mm-hmm. who wrote like the Blade itself and things like that. Okay. Um, Lord Grimdark on Twitter, if he's still there. Okay. Um, is very 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 popular grimdark fantasy writer oh okay. writes other genres too um but his most popular thing is the first law trilogy which you would really enjoy it's mm-hmm. good books but there's a character in there there's an he's people's one of people's favorite characters from the books okay named uh, logan nine fingers oh okay and who is a retired was a northman which is basically analogous to sort of like think like 
kind of Vikingish. Someone's going to complain that I said that. Yeah. Um, modeled after like you know Celts, Vikings, Northern European culture. Okay. Yeah. Tribal nomadic kind of thing. And he was known as the Bloody Nine because he was the most dangerous, violent, bloody, horrible, vicious, cruel, um, grim, dark, sadistic, <laughs> violent, yeah, fighter person there was. Yeah. Only now it's been a while, and he just wants to be a good guy. Sure. And everyone's okay. like, "Oh my God, you're the Bloody Nine." He's like, "I I just want to be a good guy." Yeah, but that was in my past, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's this whole like, "Oh, that's in my past. I want to be a good guy now." Mm-hmm. But one of the cool things he does in the story is that if Logan is fighting, yeah. He is a berserker. And as he's fighting, he will suddenly realize, I'm losing control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he'll, you'll actually, in his internal monologue, he'll be like, no, not now, not now, not now, no, 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 no. And then and he just stops. And then it's And just he smiles zap. through his missing finger because he's missing a finger. He's yeah. got nine fingers and he's like, <laughs> I'm crazy. Yes. And then he proceeds to kill everyone. And not in a superhuman. He's not superhuman. He doesn't have superhuman strength. He doesn't have superhuman anything. Mm. But he will kill everyone in the room, including his friends. Okay. So he comes a problem. Yeah, so it's and Joe Abercrombie has gone on record as saying he does not like it when people try to associate it with like demonic possession or some sort of supernatural thing. It's literally just that no, Logan's not a good person. He's just trying to be a good person. Oh yeah, I like that. And though. then he loses him. He loses control. And he, like there are several of his allies who he will he was killed throughout the book series because they happen to be in the same room when he when the bloody nine emerges. Right. Like you need to know to get the hell out of there. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah. And. Read the room. Even man. when he's about to yeah. lose a fight, mm-hmm. the bloody nine will come out and some and he'll win because he'll like that's oh, okay. Like he'll like impale himself on the sword to claw and scrabble to you to rip your face in half. Um, gotcha. It's just mindless violence when the bloody nine takes over Fair and yeah. he enjoys it. Oh okay. Um, yeah, but he's called the bloody nine. Yeah, and it's he's missing a finger. It's like the bloody nine's been here, and mm-hmm. um, so that's oh. all. I, that's what. I, you know, well, that's I, cool. But he's not a divorce. Right. There's some. He's not a demon. There. So he is not possessed, apparently. I'll That's put a, the big one. I'll put a note to the bloody nine from the first law wiki or something in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but devils and demons. Okay. Yeah. Why don't I talk about devils? Okay. So I was reading through, I just used the the monster manual devils. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked for similarities in things they do, right? Yeah. And here's what I noticed. A lot of devils, their attacks and things like that are very simplistic. They are uh, monstrous body attacks, mm-hmm. stingers, claws bites and slams lots of that yeah if they have a some of some some devils have a specific weapon associated with them Mm -hmm. um i think that might be something we strip out okay so you think about it like there's irony's they have their armored women with weapons okay there are chain devils that have like the chains wrapped around oh yeah yeah okay so those i i sort of feel like that should be stripped away Mm -hmm. um I right. don't know why, but I just have a feeling like maybe well, the, the process of becoming a divorce, the chain devil chains would not be part of that. Yeah, I get that because if you bring if you bring any of those types of traits over, then it's going to be hard to differentiate them. Yeah, I think is maybe the motivation. Um, lots of them have auras, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, fear, and things like that, and yeah. they all have. Lots of them have magic resistance. Okay, and a lot of them have elemental abilities fire or ice like hurl fire fire or a flame blade hurl ice freeze things okay um like you know ice devils can freeze things balors have fire attacks bone devils just have bony spines and things like that okay so like that's a notice a lot of like abnormal physiology attacks okay. i have spines that so like are the chains on a chain demon part of its being 
I don't know. Or they just happen to they just gather chains around themselves. Is there a demon beneath all the chains, or are the chains part of the demon? Is what I I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm chain, sure because chain devils written, are my favorite devils. Yeah, I'm sure someone has written like an elaborate explanation I'm of sure. the association between them. Um but that's sort of like the long and short of like the devil abilities. And then when I add on to there, like just things from reading the fluff notes, things like making deals, deception. So yeah. lies, yeah. lies, deception, um, all sorts of things to gather and collect souls. So Yeah. Yeah, because demons because again, I was doing more of this and less of reading on the actual demon stuff that exists. But when I look, it does seem like demons kind of have, as I'm going through this a little bit more, well, they kind of range everywhere. I can't find a common right. There, there isn't, I don't think there's a strong common thread. When I was There looking, seems to be an emotional, at least. Demons tend to be completely emotionally driven. They're like, they're rage, they're hunger. Yeah. They are, they, there's not, well, I mean, that's the chaotic thing, right? Yeah. They're all written to be basically forces of chaos. And... So they're the ones that are just going to rage through a room. They're going to, you know, they're not going to try their trick their way into the party. They're going to kick down the door. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, and it seems like some of their physical, they tend to be more brutish. Yeah, they they do. And it seems like some of the stuff that they all seem a lot of magic, but yeah, see like wave of sorrow is the name of this guy's sword. Mm -hmm. You know, they seem to have a lot of like emotional based stuff or rather than, natural elemental abilities they're more like you know like acids and slimes and rather than yeah also the demons are they're definitely gross for sure devils tend to be not not as gross although i mean chain devils are gross i don't again i don't and here's the thing i think we're trying to prescribe more order to the classification than the classification actually holds uh yeah probably yeah that would probably do you know what i mean yeah no you're right so i feel like well that's why if we bring it up i think i think Casey messaged us, right? He's yeah. like, I didn't know there was more than one devil. He didn't know that devils and demons were different. Yeah, exactly. And pop because pop would have known that if you'd kept playing. <laughs> pop right, culturally, Casey? though, we don't really draw too much of a line between the two. Well, I, well, I mean, you, know? you you go into well, okay, so I mean, even I'm, biblically, they don't really pop culture references. Yeah, um, the most relevant pop culture reference that deals with demons and devils would be, unfortunately supernatural or something like that and oh yeah they definitely draw a line they, I mean, don't they and they're just called they're all call them all demons don't they it was a shame there's it wasn't, one devil and then yeah. everyone else is a demon yeah it wasn't always unfortunately no okay you know i, mean? I like say unfortunately just because it's so ubiquitous yeah and, it and, went I, for and, so I, long. and i'm not yeah. like a super hulakian or anything like that yeah but well i mean buffy did demons and never dealt with devils did they no they I, buffy was consistently demons Demon has for a long time in a lot of pop culture just been the catch-all. They will do the devil, right. and and the devil controls demons. But Buffy did have demons that I would, based on the hair splitting that you do, what I would probably call as a devil. Yeah, you know, um, vampires are lawful, aren't they? Yeah, right. they must be. They would have to be. Um, I'm trying to think of any other. There, there's not really a cultural distinction between devils and demons because generally, when you boil it down, there is the devil, and usually i see demons as his minions yeah straight up vampires are lawful mm-hmm. um and vampire spawn are neutral evil so Which makes sense yeah because they're they're growing into being the which lawful. is interesting because we stumbled into that with the divorce yeah you know also we're going to make them neutral evil exactly <laughs> they don't have the they weren't raised up but i also oh that was the other thing with the divorce is that they can procreate divorce the divorce the divorce divorce anyway, they can procreate 
Yes. So that then you get character options and they have 10 fingers. If well they would actually have man eh, that's it. We'll worry about that later. Yeah, that's yeah. we'll add that onto the as a species thing or as a building a species lineage rule mm-hmm. set. Um So if we look at it, so let's just start with these traits. Yeah. So demons, they all have some sort of uh, well a lot of them have a magic resistance. Yep. That's pretty universal the magic resistance. So I'm going to call it gross physiology. Yep. And then that gross physiology usually factors into their attack. Right. Yep. So we're talking slimes and acid type stuff. Fungus, right? And fungus. So, you know, I don't know as that's a direct classification, but when you're making up demon powers, go for gross. They tend to be emotional. Yeah. So they are rage-based abilities and hunger-based abilities. And then for devils, we're looking at auras. And some demons have auras too, but that's fine. Elemental attacks and... Um, body attacks what i would like to add to this list is things like manipulation so that would be like charm and lies Mm -hmm. and to all of these they're going to have the shape change ability yep and then they'll have the typical demon devil resistances immune to poison immune they can't be charmed exhausted exactly charmed exhausted or anything like that yeah um and i think this is good because this will allow you as a dm to create creatures that are stronger than right your typical like a CR eight Devoris, in my opinion, should sort of be able to de- defeat a CR eight Devil, but maybe that's the wrong way to think about it because they probably should be on the same playing field at the same CR. Yeah, Challenge I, from an emotional perspective, like from, a, from a storytelling perspective, it seems like, like a when devil, I'm writing the story, yeah, I'm like, oh, they're stronger, right? But what that really should translate to is, oh, they're a CR bump higher, R- right? Yes, for a game perspective, yeah, that makes sense. So, but I also. Yeah, no, I, I do picture him as being the top the top dog, so to speak. And maybe there's something we should write in there, like when a Devoris is created, you should think about what kind of demon and what kind of devil got yep. combined. Yeah, so that so you can like, kind of pull them in. And then do we need to provide types? That That's what we're going to do, right? We'd have to go through the SRD. Yep, and, and see what, yeah. And see which ones we have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Though at this point, I'm almost wondering if when something gets released under Orc license, I wonder what kind of... Though everything's Creative Commons at this Everything, point. Well, yeah, we can just use the Creative Commons stuff yeah. to start. Um, well, here's the fun thing. Like, and this is not something that I had ever considered. Okay, look, the legal game design, it's like what we're actually here to talk about. Mm-hmm. The, the licensing on the game design has always been very interesting to me because I always look at the... the um, uh, what is the the license the 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 open gaming license yeah, the OGL. Open ga- the, Jeez, oh yeah Louise, gosh, my brain just turned off started off the year couldn't stop talking about it yeah so know. you have this OGL mm-hmm. and so they're like OGL you can now create books so i guess what i didn't understand yeah is that when a third party creates a monster book mm-hmm. say dungeons of drakenheim okay yeah right right in front of me yeah. right in front of me i open up this book to the monster these monsters that they created for this book are in are now under the OGL, which means because this was published because using the this OGL. is because this was published using using the OGL, things like Drakenheim and the proper names of things mm-hmm. are so here. Let me I'm gonna read I'm using the book from Drakenheim, which again I can't say enough good stuff about this. Yeah. All right. Ownership and copyright. I'm gonna read this opening from the book. This product is compliant with the open gaming license and is suitable for use with the 5th edition rule system. Yeah. Product identity. 
Okay. The following items are hereby identified as product identity. So this is part of the OGL. You say, what is your product identity? This is the stuff that other people cannot use okay. from your book. The following items are hereby identified as product identity as defined in the Open Gaming License, version 1.0a, section 1c, and are not open content. All trademarks, registered trademarks, proper names, characters, deities, etc., dialogue, plots, storylines, locations, characters, illustrations, and trade dress, elements that have previously been designed as open game content. Um, oh, and then it says in parentheses, elements that have been previously been designed, designated as open game content are and or are in the public domain are not included in this declaration. Okay. So that means if they put in Strahd von Zarevich the Vampire into their book, because yeah. Strahd von Zarevich the Vampire is now Creative Commons. Right. And then they use something that's Creative Commons in their book. They can't then retroactively now slap their product identity on it and say you can't use it. Okay. If it's open somewhere else and they use it, they can't make it closed, is what that's saying. Understood. Open content, the next section. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. Except for the material designated as product identity, see above. See above, yeah. Did you notice what was not in that list? No. Monsters. Well, okay. Oh, okay. Because they have unique monsters in here. They do. Yeah. See above. The game mechanics of this game product are open game content as defined in the open game license version 1.0a section 1d. Yeah. The game mechanics of this game program. No portion of this work other than the material designated open game content may be reproduced in any form without written permission. So, except for the material designated as product identity, the game mechanics of this game product are open license. That includes the monster stat blocks. So a monster... So if I go to the back So is a monster a mechanic of a game? Yeah, I think so. That's interesting. So like, for instance, if I go... They have a thing here called an amalgamation. It's called an amalgamation. Yeah. Is this open game content? Can we take the amalgamation and put it in Astrock, in an Astrock book? I don't oh, know. So like if it's something, so can we come across things? So we would have to hit change the flavor text and we would have to draw it ourselves. Uh-huh. But is it something that we can... Um, can you reskin someone else's monsters? Because the monsters aren't... The monsters or can are we the, write an adventure and say, this is a monster from Tome of Beasts 2. It's open game content. So we use this monster from Tome of Beasts 2 right in our adventure. Mm-hmm. Here's the stat block for the. It's we can credit it. This come this monsters from and, the open Tome of Beasts yeah, too. Yeah. So of course we would. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is like, oh, look at this cool thing we can do to manipulate the system. I'm saying, am I understanding this right? Yeah, it does seem that way. If they don't specifically say, unless do proper not, names. What does it? So proper name, that, proper nouns, amalgamation so, is not a proper noun. So Duke, you know, Joe, Duke, Duke, Duke Joseph, yeah, Duke it, Joey. Yeah. is a proper name. Okay. But Duke yeah. Joey's stat block isn't... You could just... Like, that's why you could make a Strahd von Zarvich stat block and just call it Vampire Lord or Cursed Vampire Lord. Okay. Well, I mean, isn't that how they got around uh, Beholders? Didn't... Oh, yeah. They, they they call them something else? They call them Eye Tyrants. Right, but it's a, it's just a Beholder. But the, 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 you know, the, the scary thing about the Beholder is that literally, literally, when you go to the open game license... Hold on. See, I'm going to open up the open game license and it says, okay, see how quickly I can find this. Um, yeah, so the beholder is, is specifically said you cannot use the word beholder. Exactly. It literally says specifically. Um, yeah, it does get a little weird because the beholders, mind flares, you can't say mind flares. You have to say something. No, keep talking while I read. Yeah, so you have to do something else. I mean, they can't. I wonder if they're able to 
to protect Tiamat as a dragon. No, maybe their version of Tiamat. Because I wonder about that because that Tiamat is, you know. uh, So their copy of it in this book doesn't seem to show up. Let me check in the back of this book. But yeah, if you want to, it does seem, it did. It does seem like if you wanted, if you like a monster, you like the way it functions and you think it would fit in your adventure world, all you got to do is take the stat block and just change the well, story. Well, that's what I remember. Match. I remember it being something specific, like you can't use the nine hells. It, like there's a list of things. Yes, I know the use. list. And, we but had, I'm sure that beholders were in there. Yeah, they were. Because we, even before all the OGL stuff, we looked up why Tome of Beasts made, uh, no, not Tome of Beasts. Forge of Foes. Forge of no, Foes. No, who was Forge it? Foes. Flea mortals. Flea mortals. That's what it was. They they're like advertising their eye beast. Yeah, right, right on the there front. on the cover. Yeah, and they also made they made a mind flare. It's not called a mind flare. Yeah, that's the bug but it's one. a mind flare. That's the insect one, right? No mind flare. You know, no. Doesn't it look no, like a bug? There's... That's the uh, level ah, up five e has okay. an insect monster. That is that, clearly a mind flare. That to me looks like it could be very easily reskinned into a mind flare. Got it. Um, and that was my first thought. It was like, oh, they're just coming up with something. But the idea of a giant floating eyeball that shoots different rays out of little eyeballs, to me, is dangerously close to something that they specifically... And the reason is, is because they wrote the license they can put in there. You can't do a beholder. You can't do a mind flare. And so, for instance... See, I don't understand how this works. Yeah. Because... So, there's a website called HeroForge where you can design 3D models of creatures, right? Yep, yep. And they, for a while, introduced lots of anthropomorphic animal people. Yeah. And one of the ones they released was humanoids with octopus heads. They were essentially, you could make mind flare minis. Yeah. And then they went away because mm-hmm. wizards cease and desisted them. They didn't call them mind flares. They didn't call them ithalids. They said they were like octo people. And well, and then see, and it's hard to use that as an example because it also could be one of those things where... Is it because of the image of the octopus head? But then why are they able to do it in flea mortals? Well, would it have held up? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like oh, maybe, it, it might not have. Maybe they just didn't want to fight the fight. Exactly. You're just a little place that prints off minis and you don't need it that bad. You just go, okay, fine. I'll take it down. So part of me wonders like how much of this is actually application of legal contract law and how mm-hmm. much of this is actually just, well, I don't want to fight the fight. Right. There's probably a ton of it. I mean, litigation. Isn't that a, that's a problem with just the legal system in general, that a large portion of winning in the legal system just consists of, can I out-threaten the other guy and right. they don't want to deal with me? It's that money does, you know, that's the part that's frustrating, is that the money does make that kind of a difference. Sure. You know. Sure. Um, if, if a, if a like, big Like, yes, I could win a lawsuit against Apple, but I'm not going to win the lawsuit against Apple because I can't afford to. Yeah. Apple Apple can just sit there and grind you to nothing, yep. which was always the one. I'm sorry, Apple. Happened. I didn't mean to attack you personally. You that, were just the biggest. I just picked a big court. Disney could do the same thing. Yeah, yeah Disney. Yeah. Any Well, I mean, you. I mean, when we're looking at these publishers and this, you know, within this kind of TTRPG in general, almost anybody could be. It's not doesn't take a lot to grind yeah, out. Hasbro these can grind people down for sure. And that's not the biggest company in the world. Um, Games Workshop is the same way. Yeah. It's, yeah. It doesn't take a lot of money to be able to grind these folks down if you right. needed to. So that's why you you can't just base, you know, I would be hesitant to base the disappearance of something similar to something within the D&D realm mm-hmm. on whether you could or couldn't, but it's just more like, I just can't be bothered. Well, it's the similar thing. I'm not thing selling that, that many octopus-headed things, so I'm exactly. not going to bother. It was the similar thing when we made up our rules for revergence, mm-hmm. like our mechanics. Yeah. Like I was like, or we could take the corruption mechanics from Drakenheim yeah. and relabel them. Right, because the mechanic itself, I think the key is always the mechanic, It you know, it's always the window dressing. I think that's all that matters. Well, and so okay, I will freely admit that part of me thinks like, well, that's kind of, uh, that's, my gut reaction is like, well, that's kind of lame just to take, uh, someone, totally. else, no, take I, someone else's game mechanic, mm-hmm. reskin it, and then say, here's my new game. 
Right. However, yeah. that is a large portion of how TTRPG works. Right. I mean, well, that's why we sit there and I sit here and we know this when it comes to any of these assignments, I grind away at lore. Like I know, you know, for Corey's party thing, I was kind of like, well, I really just come up with lore. Right. Because that's what sets it apart more than anything. And all the know? game design articles we've read and talked about, it's like, don't get lost, caught up in the lore. But I'm at like, this point, especially on, with the changes within this medium in the past year, how else are you going to differentiate yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, because if, if almost just anybody can take these mechanics and slap something over them, then the world you create and the... the um, you know the the way you're able to seed for players and DMs that that's what sets that's what makes you different. You know, right? Um, video games do the same thing. You have Metroidvania style games. It's all the gameplay is the same. So a Metroidvania is where you kind of mix the Metroid, the classic Metroid and Castlevania gameplay of the eight bit sixteen bit era. The side scroller where you're jumping up levels and mm-hmm. you know those are very popular games. They all play the same. If you're good at one, you're good at all of them. What's different? The lore, the design, the way you make it look different. Did you play the 89 Batman game? uh, Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Like, that was a great game. That was really a good game. Very underrated game, actually. I like that game Um, a lot. But yeah, that type of thing. Because at the end of the day, again... What you just described reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah. But what I was going to say, like, so freaking Critical Role Mm -hmm. just released an entire new game that is literally, basically borrows from blades in the dark which right. borrows from something else yeah to the point where people they they went back and they added a disclaimer i don't know if it's ever getting i'm saying they added it i remember when the candela obscura rules first came out they were like yeah. so it's blades in the dark they're like right it's blades in the dark it's it's a slightly reskinned blades in the dark mm-hmm. and but they're calling it its own game and that's a very internet-y thing to do though i know to become super derivative and break it down well this is just the blah, this blah, is blah. just this this and this right. But then if you look now, the Candela Obscura does say like great amount of mm-hmm. thanks and inspiration from Powered by the Apocalypse and Blades in the Dark, yeah. where we get a lot of our ideas for this particular game. Because they didn't, it's none of the intellectual property, it's just the system. It's the it's a dice pool, and if you have this ability, you can roll 3d6s, but maybe you can only roll 2d6s. Yeah. And a 6 is a success, a 4 and a 5 is a mix is a mixed success, and a 3, two, one, a three and a 2 is a fail, and a 1 is a critical fail. Right. And... You because have... again, that's the weird thing with the game design. You, because I remember I, I immediately pushed back at that when when we first started this. When it was just like, well, don't worry about lore so much. Lore should only be lore's the fun part. Twenty percent. I'm like, but lore's the whole point. It's what makes your thing different. It's what well, and it's. I think what it comes down to is that lore should only be twenty percent when you're designing a brand new game. We're right. not designing a brand new game, right? Yet, it, yet, exactly. We are designing a game within the fifth edition rules. Right, and the only way to set it apart, because Eberron is not Eberron because of mechanics. Eberron's Eberron because of, of lore. All that awesome the stuff that Baker came stuff. up with. Yeah, he was like, amazing. dwarves are now bankers. Uh, mm-hmm. Goblins are now this. Orcs are now noble. Right. And, and it gives Elves are creepy. and it, Different things to chew on. Well, and the same thing with Dark Sun. Dark Sun, yeah. like, I love the Elves and Dark Suns are just awful. Oh, are they? They're They're cannibals. <laughs> oh, they're I like, like that idea. Actually, I was, am I remembering that correctly? In Dark Sun, I'm probably not. Well, Dark Sun's In a harsh world. Dark Sun's that. really harsh, but elves are scary. They're like tribal nomads that like everyone's terrified of. Yeah, see, that's cool. Like, yeah, that's cool. They're awful. Yeah. And Eberron, I was obsessed with barbarian dinosaur riding havelings mm-hmm. in Eberron. Yeah. They didn't change anything mechanically. They changed the story. Yeah. And the story is what grabs people. And so, mm-hmm. yes, I just, if you're developing a brand new system, 
that's cool. Yeah. You you focus on your mechanics. Of course you do. Yeah. But if you're writing for an existing system, your story is what pulls people in. Right. And and how much they find that intriguing and it inspire can inspire ideas mm-hmm. in them. By know? the way, yeah. All the stuff you came up with for Bazaragar and the, mm-hmm. the, the laboratory that exploded, yeah. that would tie really well if we use Perilous Wilds to do themes. Yep. Remember when we were going to do Dungeon 365 and I did it for like five days and then yeah, failed? Yeah, and then the OGL thing happened. And then the OGL thing happened? This was okay. one of the books. that I bought this book based on, um, I think M.T. Black was doing the same thing and he recommended this book for probably that's the dungeon. Probably, that sounds right, yeah. Because um, he's so cool. But um, this book, I forgot where I was going with this thought, would be good for the themes of the dungeon Yeah, because then, you know... Yeah, but it reminded me of one of the supplements I want to write on this show is a supplement called um, uh, I want to call it like back, uh, not I don't know I want I had the title it keeps I want to call it like ashes to ashes or bid time return those are not the actual quotes that I call it but I want to do a one of those supplements that people will sell on Drive Through RPG mm-hmm. or on DMs Guild yeah where it's literally just a book about how to create different kinds of ruins oh yeah i think you have mentioned that this is like this yeah, is and this is point. a book that i have not i haven't gone digging a whole lot because the minute i dig i'm gonna find exactly that someone's already written the supplement i want sure write. sure but i want to write a book where it is a list of here are some really cool fantastic locations okay and then here's a lot of really cool environments and here's what a ruin now you can take one of those and one of those and here's how to create a ruin you want a library in the arctic here you go you want a temple in a desert here you go. You yeah. want to market in space? Here you go. Yeah. You, you know, and have all these different wild locations and then these all different kinds of places. And then what is a, and then like characteristics of ruins, what happens over time in these locations? So Arctic, over time this happens. Sand, over time this happens. Jungle, over time this happens. So that you literally have a book for customizing ruins with a bunch of plot hooks and story hooks, mm-hmm. monsters that could go in those different ruins. Yeah. And it, awesome. to me... That sounds like the cool. It's the coolest supplemental book I could come up with, and as soon as like what I want to do as soon as we have more Estrac stuff laid down, yeah. I really want to switch over and I want to do like like a series where we just write that supplement. Yeah, and then I really I really do want to write the supplement, commission some art, and throw it up on Drive Through RPG, even if it's just like a pay what you want supplement. Yeah, yeah, no, that'd be awesome. Just for fun. For, yeah, but I think it's people, all for that's fun. the kind of yeah. and that's also the kind of supplement I think people would Kickstarter. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you, I mean, they, I mean, I don't think we're in a place where we're even close to being able to Kickstarter something. We don't have a professional art team, and we right. can't take your child and manipulate them into doing all of our art for us. Sure, no, for sure. Um, um, but no, that that well, I mean, they did, like I, I think I mentioned before there was the Kickstarter for just the fishing stuff, and it did great. Yeah, it did again. Apparently, I mean, it's a great idea. It'd be a lot of fun. I like fishing. So, epic fishing. I don't, but I mean, I'm glad. Well, you I did. like it in games. I don't okay. like it in real life. In World of Warcraft, you can fish a lot. Yeah, I like fishing. Well, we all, we all gravitate towards fishing things when they add them. I into never games. fished or hunted, so I really liked Far Cry Five, whichever one was the one against the um, the the right wing extremists. Okay, that must um, be. I think it's Far, Far Cry. Cry Three or something like that. I yeah. don't know, but I love that game. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's still on that computer over there. I play it from time to time when I just feel like I need to kill bad guys. Sure. Um. <laughs> So, but there is a lot of people who will just use that game to go hunting and fishing. I, I, that is not something I've ever gotten into. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember the first, for me at least, well, no, I, I got a free copy of like Bassmasters Pro for whatever, and uh-huh. it was literally just a mouse back in the day. 
and you would look and you could see the outline of a fish and you'd be like, oh, that's a big one. And I liked catching it. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Sega Dreamcast had an actual fishing rod oh, uh, controller cool. that you could cast and turn and it would, it would pick up on when you went side to side. And, you know, okay. Zelda Ocarina of Time, one of the greatest video games of all time, had a fishing component and I spent a lot of time on it. So what we've come out of this episode with mm-hmm. is we have some raw stat blocks we're going to put together for... You're going to have to, yeah. Yeah. Yep. For a Devoris. Yeah. And then a list of abilities to pick from. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about this. One of the things we're going to have to address is that, like, if, say, like, you give them a fire aura, right? Yeah. You're going to have to, the damage level on that fire aura is going to have to be delineated by um, the level of the monster. Okay. So, yeah, if, I get that. if you throw the fire aura on a CR 11 and a fire aura CR 1, the damage has to change. Yeah. So, for each ability, we have to, like, dictate, or maybe in the stat block, right. you know? Pick your ability. So you mean we need to go picking through a book until we find something that does something similar and then take Well, I would think of it more like this. Like, you've got the CR9 Dvoris. Yeah. And it says base damage is going to have a slam that does this much. um, Plus, if you add an ability that does damage to this, it adds this much damage. And then you pick fire aura and you just, there's your number. Yeah. There's your number for your fire damage. Okay. Um, There's that or you do a breakdown of fire aura level 1, 5, 7, 9, 13. Got it. And how much damage it does across the board. All right. Yeah. So it's literally like a, a a choose your own monster bits, throw them together, and Bob's your uncle. All right. So, however, yep. Josh. Yes. Talent. It's a beautiful day outside. It is. And I do think that that, friends, <laughs> is all of our time for this morning. So thank you again for listening and supporting the show. For more information or peruse the latest drafts of our creations, visit our website at www.fourthpillarofplay.com. All spelled out. Which I do promise to update um eventually and where you can also like follow our messages on twitter or instagram we've been very lore heavy so there's not a lot of stuff to download but everything we've created so far is on there yeah um but when we have the step like we're gonna have a divorce document that's, yeah. i'm looking forward to formatting mm-hmm. so hey thank you so much josh hey thank, thank you, you night shift radio yeah thank you sunshine thank you thank you beautiful summer thank day you, air in my lungs yep i appreciate it if you live in syracuse come see chicago yeah absolutely um and then but that is everything hey and we look forward to creating more with you <laughs>